from GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. The lowest income members of our communities, our neighbors um, who struggle the most um, from a financial perspective, pay the most for their electricity. Um, the poorest 20% of the country pays 10% or more of their entire household income for electricity. Michelle Moore is CEO of Groundswell. At the Verge Conference in September 2017, she led a panel of community leaders from around the United States to share solutions promoting balanced growth and shared prosperity for low-wealth people and communities of color across energy, transportation, land use, and economic inclusion. Speaking on the panel were Rose McKinney-James from MGM Resorts International, Nathaniel Smith, founder of the Partnership for Southern Equity, and Mark Case, CEO at Wachita Electric Cooperative in Arkansas. Let's listen in. Good afternoon, everybody. Hi. So I have to say, I am so incredibly grateful to be here today in this week with this extraordinary community of people dedicated to getting good stuff done. So um, thank y'all. Thank y'all. So we are going to be talking today about people, policy, and projects. And we're going to talk about power, not just solar power, but economic empowerment. And we're going to talk about the power of civic engagement to help all of our communities really rise up together. So as we're talking today, I want to ask you all to think a little bit differently about what we mean when we say from the margins to the mainstream. Don't think about technology adoption curves and the market mainstreaming of solutions. I want you all to think about the good that can come from putting people, all people, all of our neighbors who are often marginalized or who are treated as an afterthought at the center of the systems and the solutions that we're creating. So I want to kick off our conversation today with Nathaniel Smith who's founder and CEO, that's Chief Equity Officer, of the Partnership for Southern Equity. Because here we are today together in the heart of America's innovation economy in Silicon Valley, with several thousand leaders here and online in the field who are at the helm of that innovation. So, Nathaniel, get us started with your visionary view on energy equity and, um, and really what empowerment can mean writ large. So, so again, I mean, I am just taken aback by this opportunity and the spirit of innovation and, and the amount of great people that I've had a chance to, to meet um, at this conference. Um, as I participated in this event and had an opportunity to learn so much from many of you, one key thing continued to elevate uh, in my mind, and, and that is the question of how can economies be fully realized? How can economies be fully competitive if everyone is not positioned to participate in them? Um, if everyone is not given an opportunity to roll up their sleeves and be involved in this exciting transition that we're experiencing from an extractive economy to a renewable energy economy? And, and really at the end of the day, if, if we embrace that idea, that everyone has a part to play, um, that everyone is an asset and no one is a liability, 
then we have to begin the process of looking at energy, and in particular, this conversation about power, to be more than just about the power of energy. Um, we have to begin the process of also looking at power from the perspective of the power that marginalized communities can realize in the way of paying their bills. Um, the power of community in the ability to have jobs and participate in the economy. And last but certainly not least, the power that it is embedded and the potential that is embedded in realizing a stronger participatory democracy uh, by allowing and, and positioning everyday people who are on many occasions on the margins, so to speak, as relates to policy decision-making and economic decision-making to allow them and, and, and to empower them and inspire them to actually go inward and be involved in the policy decision-making process as it relates to energy and the creation of a renewable economy. Thank you so much, Nathaniel. Because when we're talking about economic equity, we're talking about really multiple levels. You know, from civic engagement and empowerment and decision-making like Nathaniel's talking about, from participation in the incredible wealth-generating opportunities and this growing marketplace, um, from getting work, from getting a good job and developing a career, and, of course, uh, to saving money. Because I'm sure, as all y'all know, um, the lowest income members of our communities, our neighbors um, who struggle the most um, from a financial perspective, pay the most for their electricity. Um, the poorest 20% of the country pays 10% or more of their entire household income for electricity. Uh, and it's not just because they make less money, it's not just because they're not leaving the lights on or the TV on all night, um, it's because the quality of their housing is often much less efficient and they don't have the fancy new Energy Star appliances to help them save money. Mm -hmm. now, so when we think about really how to include folks and um, drive towards much, much greater energy equity in the outcomes that we're getting, um, innovation can come from unexpected places. And Mark Casey is here with us as CEO of a rural electric cooperative in Washita, Arkansas, in South Arkansas. And Mark has developed what I believe is one of the most, if not the most, advanced energy efficiency and renewable energy program that's serving all of his members respectfully and without regard of what their household income is. So Mark, can you talk us about how you're putting this into practice? Well, uh, we live in the most rural area of Arkansas and we serve five counties. And we're spread out over almost 1,900 miles of line and uh, many of our members uh, have been in habitually poverty areas. Uh, it, it, they struggle to, to make ends meet, and we wanted to find a way that we could help them uh, cope with their energy bills. And we started out uh, providing loans on bill and loaning money uh, to be able to make energy efficiency improvements, but the, the loans weren't going far enough because we also could see that we would benefit as a co-op if we could lower our peak loads at, at peak operating times. And we needed uh, to be able to get a bigger investment. And the idea was brought to us of providing a tariff where we could make energy efficiency improvements in our members' homes. We would buy them new heating and air conditioning equipment, uh, insulate their homes, improve the air ceiling and add insulation. And in, the vast majority of cases, there was no money up front required from the member. And we use tariff financing to, to pay for these improvements. We pay for the improvements up front. 
We find qualified contractors and auditors to go in and audit the houses. Uh, we verify what the auditors do by inspecting their work because we feel like we're advocates for our members. And after the work is complete, we would pay the contractors and uh, a fixed monthly charge would be placed on those individuals' bills uh, that is less than the amount needed to, to repay our investment. Uh, there's no debt created. The, the tariff is based on the location and in the meter. And as long as we feel that that structure can be occupied for up to 12 years, we'll recover our investments. Uh, I think the really unique thing about the tariff, it has allowed us to move into rental homes uh, and to apartment buildings. When we were doing loans, th those populations were really left out because we were, when we were doing loans, we needed some sort of, of, of commitment uh, from a property owner. And so a lot of people in the rental housing markets and apartment dwellers were not able to do this. But when we went with the tariff by investing in the location and not the individual, we would make the improvements in those locations. Uh, and even if they move out six months, uh, two years, or three years later, th they don't take any debt with them. Well, we're going to take that as an amen. <laughs> but uh, they don't take the, the debt with them. The, the investment stays in the location. And when the next person moves into that location, they are notified that this structure is on this particular rate and that the utility bills are lower in this location because of the improvements that have been made. So I want, to, I want to put a little finer point on a couple, of, um, a couple of the things that Mark has shared about this program, which has been in operation for right at a year now and has incredible participation, 500 people from among a 7,500-person co-op. This is not debt. Everyone can participate, including renters in homes and in multifamily apartment buildings. Um, it is lowering people's electricity bills immediately with this tariff, and the co-op is still making its money. That's correct. Uh, lowering our uh, peak demand load, uh, say our biggest, our biggest expense is, is our electric bill. We're just a provider of a distribution service, and if we can lower our biggest expense, it lowers every one of our members' power bill, so it benefits everybody. Now, Rose... A, a huge theme from this conference and in plenary sessions like this and in hallway conversations too has been about the importance of leadership. Not just state and local government leadership, but corporate leadership in driving policies and programs that change. You know, as someone who embodies and represents leadership at the policy level at states and, uh, and also in corporations on the many boards that you serve on. Um, what's your perspective on not just the role, but the responsibility, you know, that corporate and government policy leaders have to take to scale these ideas uh, to greater inclusion? Well, you know, Michelle, I think the, f the first observation is that um, it is really incredible to be on a stage with pioneers and innovators in, in this space. This is a very important space. Uh, and I reflect on the fact that they have found uh, a path to achieving very significant goals uh, based on innovation, based on engagement. And I believe that that can be reflected in the C-suite, and it should certainly be reflected in the industries that take advantage of the technologies that are being used. Uh, most importantly, I think that it's 
critically important that business leaders take a lead from the innovators who are on the ground, who understand the communities, uh, that these conversations should be ongoing and very robust. Uh, I, uh, from the Covey uh, list of uh, habits of successful people, seek first to understand and then be understood. And there's a ton of money to be made from investing in that sentiment. Well, and, and Rose, I want to build on that idea because thinking about engagement and thinking about the importance of understanding first. Um, Mark, something else a lot of folks don't necessarily understand about rural co-ops is that it, it can be a very pure form of energy democracy. So could you share a little bit about the origin story of this program and some of the transformation that you saw at Washita Co-op? Well, every electric co-op is, is democratically controlled. Every member is a part owner in the utility and, and they elect their own representatives. In fact, that's, I've been at Washita Electric Co-op now for going on 16 years, but uh, there was a change in management and in our board of directors that was done uh, democratically through our elections because some of the membership didn't like the way, uh, the direction the co-op was going. And uh, it, it makes our directors very sensitive to the wants and needs of our members uh, because they do have a voice and they can have influence. And so that's one of the main drivers that we have really tried to develop more consumer-centric policies and programs. Now, Nathaniel, um, for Partnership for Southern Equity, civic engagement is fundamental to creating greater energy equity and, and, and greater justice associated with that too. But you know, you've observed many times when we've talked that sometimes civic engagement can be low. And, um, and the understanding, because we're all, everybody here is an expert. Uh, Y'all are at the top of your field, uh, but many of the people that we all serve um, don't necessarily have that detailed understanding of how the light bill, you know, right. and the, and the uh, how big that light bill can be, you know, has a, is impacted by civic engagement. So tell us a little bit about Partnership for Southern Equity's work in that and about the civic culture around energy in the American South in particular. Yeah, and, and in, in the South in particular, um, we, we've learned through our work that change moves at the speed of trust. Um, if you are able to create an environment where individuals can trust you um, and believe that you have their best interests at heart, then extraordinary things can happen. And, and we say that as an organization, while we do research and other, other key things, advocacy, um, we believe that big numbers and big data and big spreadsheets and big ideas won't be the thing that the things that change America and the South, the big relationships. Um, big relationships will be the thing that will change our communities. And so for us, it's about how do we create opportunities for something so complicated, um, like energy, conversations that are so complicated and so intimidating. How can we begin the process through our efforts to go into communities and begin to educate folks about energy systems, educate folks about who are the decision makers, educate folks about where are the policy solutions, and, and even more important, how they can be a part in making a better community, not only for themselves, but for everyone. And so um, we organize a, a statewide group called the Just Energy Circle which consists of over 15 organizations from around the state of Georgia that are actively engaged in educating and empowering low-wealth 
communities and communities of color in this conversation about energy and at the same time leveraging our relationships with the private sector and philanthropy as well to get them to understand that if we want a competitive economy you can't fight that battle with one arm tied behind your back you have to do what you can to ensure that the communities that have been left behind by this current economy will have a chance to participate in the new one that is emerging. And it is our responsibility as private sector leaders, philanthropy and community leaders and policy leaders to make sure that we're not just replacing one uh, extractive and exploitive economy um, with another. Um, and that is what our, where our work comes in. Now, I have one more question for Rose, and then uh, I'm going to go to Elaine at the sidebar to see if, uh, if y'all or the community out there online has a question. Um, you know, but, but Rose, you're, you're a leader in Nevada. Mm -hmm. and I, I said that right. Rose coached <laughs> me up on that before we got up here on the panel. And, um, and, and that's a great case in point of how, how not including people can have tremendously negative impacts for an emerging industry and how bringing those folks to the table can flip it back again. So flip can you tell us a little point. bit about your, the lessons learned there? And flip, I think, is exactly what we experienced in, in Nevada recently. Um, I think uh, most folks who follow uh, our policy discussions around net metering know that a year ago we lost what had been a very robust and, and uh, aggressive uh, set of policies uh, advancing clean energy. Uh, and as a former regulator, I'm very sensitive to what occurred, where the commission uh, basically sort of stepped out and took some actions that resulted in completely destroying uh, an industry that had been built up over a period of time. In my view, it was because uh, regulators were out of touch, and, and to some degree, the industry was out of touch. I think what Nathaniel describes is a process where you, you meet uh, people halfway. You come to, to the table. You have a seat at the table, there is a table, there is a conversation. Uh, in this instance, uh, there, there was a lot of talking around and representations uh, that could n clearly could not be substantiated. But the good news is that less than a week ago, uh, the commission issued an order which completely reversed that decision. Now, the metrics are a little different. The program is different. But I now see the, uh, the activity that we uh, once had in the state re-engaging uh, around net metering. But it required... Uh, a coalition, uh, the involvement of a variety of voices, and ensuring that the economics that had been discussed were, were clearly outlined and uh, that we weren't talking about people, but we were talking with people. Over to you, Elaine. Thanks. Um, so. The question is, and we, Rose, you were talking a little bit about how businesses seek to understand, uh, need to seek to understand communities better. And Mark, you, you talked about a really great model that works, that makes it affordable for your, the folks in your territory. And so we were sort of, John and I were talking a little bit about, well, who else? So we were talking about financial institutions, maybe there are others that can get involved or maybe haven't been involved enough. What can they do? What do you, what are some, maybe if they are involved, what are some success stories? Well, I, it, it is, it requires a comprehensive conversation. And so every aspect, every step of the um, transaction needs to be reflected. 
Um, so you specifically mentioned uh, uh, the, the issue of finance. What Mark has been able to do is to create an economic uh, Im Im imperative for his, his members. They are saving, he is benefiting, there is a mutual benefit to this program. And so uh, every aspect of the transaction needs to be reflected in that conversation. So everyone from you know, the folks who are providing uh, the actual uh, products and the services, they need to be engaged in this as well and not stand to the side. Because what happens is the, the absence of that voice in the conversation means a, an incomplete solution. And I want to add for us here too that just thematically, um, you know, something that every single solution that we've talked about have in common, and this would include Groundswell's programs and community solar as well, are about putting lower income neighbors, you know, people who are part of our community at the center of the solution. Not thinking about folks after the fact or as an add-on or as participation that has to be subsidized. Because Mark, your program's addressing solar now as well. Uh our work uh, in energy efficiency has also gotten us involved in solar. We've just completed a community solar project, a one megawatt project that we'll be making available to all of our members. Uh, we worked with one of our large CNI customers and uh, put in the first large scale solar farm in Arkansas, which was a 12 megawatt facility. But amazingly, what we found out was uh, even though we gave up business to one of our largest customers, we benefited by reducing, uh, again, our peak demand cost. And we have found out uh, with the community solar that, that the solar is the low cost option, which making uh, energy affordable has to be addressed first. Uh, I, I deal with people every day who they can't pay their electric bill. And the solution is, is, is to make all these investments in their home. Well, they couldn't pay the electric bill. There's no way they could, they could make that investment. And, uh, the, the tariff made that possible. So, so um, all of us are going to be at a workshop tomorrow morning. And uh, I hope that uh, anyone here who is interested in taking action will come and join us and go deeper on some of these ideas. And um, because as leaders in the industry, as people who are dedicated to doing good, as people who are members of your communities as well, um, there is action that can be taken to replicating every single one of the ideas up here. Um, but, but in wrapping us up, I'd like to ask each of you all to take um, about a minute and share a closing thought and a closing challenge uh, for the leaders who are with us in the, in the room today. Nathaniel. The, the only thing that I would add is, is and, and it was said before, that, that, that change should always be done with people and not to people. Um, and, and, and with that change comes an opportunity for innovation. I think about the work that the city of Atlanta is doing around creating a 100% renewable city and the work that we've been able to do with our local public school system to develop the first, we the second ever affordable housing strategy of a school system in the country and how we're beginning now to have serious conversations about renewable energy and not just renewable energy, but how community through economic inclusion and other ways can be a part in that just transition. And so, Work hard to ensure that change can happen with people and not to people. Rose. So I, I think that there's an intersection between uh, policy innovation and thought innovation and community. And when we talk about bringing folks from the, the margins, if you will, sort of outside of the cluster into the mainstream, all three of those things 
have to be included. And Mark. Well, uh, our, our involvement with energy efficiency, um, and I go back to the finance issue, the, the tariff has literally changed the lives of people uh, where we live. And we initially took this idea to some local banks, but uh, they thought everyone would have to go through a loan process. By utilizing the tariff, we streamlined that process. We're able to make a decision in hours uh, after providing a, a comprehensive energy audit, and we're able to make those decisions, and it doesn't take the paperwork or the time. And frankly, the banks weren't interested in a lot of small individual loans. So we have policy solutions, we have project solutions that can be re replicated not only in rural America, but in IOU service territories around the country. And we have a challenge to put really people at the center of the conversation. And uh, reaching out and having those conversations can seem like a lot of work, but it bears fruit at the end of the day. So I hope you all will join us tomorrow morning to talk more and to go deeper uh, about energy equity and how we can really fulfill the full promise of that, not just to save folks a little bit of money on their bills and not just to give people who might not have a job a job, uh, but to really fulfill the full potential of this extraordinary new sector of our economy uh, to create wealth for people who haven't had that opportunity before. Thank you all. You've been listening to Michelle Moore in conversation with Rose McKinney-James of MGM International, Nathaniel Smith of the Partnership for Southern Equity, and Mark Case from Wachita Electric Cooperative at the Verge 17 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into Green Biz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.